Hello, this is Peter Davison. You're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 459 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where the Big Bang was a big mistake, glow sticks are life, and hairstyles are on a whole new level. I'm Kier. I'm Haley. I'm Jay. And I'm Julie. This week, Turlow gets everyone into a huge mess, but it's Nyssa who heads for the door in season 20's Terminus. Turlow is still being blackmailed by the Black Guardian um, and sets once again to damage the TARDIS in order to carry out the assassination order. Doing so this time lands the team of four in a docking position with a plague liner that is bringing the sick to a station called Terminus. The enslaved guards there rule by force, loading the ill into holding cells until the GARM cures them. We think. That's not totally clear yet. Even the guards are sick but are kept alive with a chemical only the company provides. So, but we, we want to jazz things up a little bit. So a pair of would-be pirates board the liner at, at nearly the same moment as the TARDIS as an advance party that ends up just stuck as the doctor and his companions. Uh, and did we mention that the entire station is about to blow up and, you know, just kind of take the universe out with it? Which leaves a lot of people trying to find solutions to a lot of problems all at once. But in a turn of events that would make the Lupari canine warriors proud, the Garm turns out to be the key to the whole jumble. That key, incidentally, includes Nyssa choosing to remain behind and help find permanent cures for all of the inflicted. Have to talk to Nyssa. What is it? I'm not coming with you. What? There's too much to be done here. Tell her she must. Well, you can't stay. It isn't safe. Certainly not until the veneer have sorted out how they're to run Terminus. And with my skills, I can help them. We need you too. I've enjoyed every moment of my time on the TARDIS, and I'll miss you both. But here I have a chance to put into practice the skills I learnt on Traken. Please, Nissa. I'm adamant. Please, let us part in good faith. We do fully understand the commitment you'd be undertaking. Yes. And that life here would be very hard. I am fully aware of that, but I want to stay. Then you're a very brave person. I wish you every luck. All right. The, the ongoing plight of Turlow definitely ramps up in this one, but it kind of feels like it's at each viewer's discretion to determine whether or not you feel he deserves any empathy for what he's going through. Uh, being forced to do this, but I don't really want to do this, but I do want to do this so that I can have my freedom, but I don't want you to hurt me because I'm squishy. I, 
I don't know. So I, I wanted to check with each of you and sort of see how you feel about this guy being supposedly forced to do the worst thing imaginable rather than just telling the doctor, hey, I'm in a bind here. I really don't want to kill you. Help me get out of this. It, it doesn't seem like there's much really forcing him to do this. <laughs> However, his delay tactics are stunning. <laughs> <laughs> True. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like it's, you know, if I, if I go up to somebody and be like, Hey, I, I know we've been like running around for a little bit, but I'm really only here to kill you. I don't see that like endearing him to the doctor. It might work out in the end, but I can understand his trepidation. But instead he should just spend a few weeks trying to kill the doctor before he tells him. That'll help. Half-heartedly so. Right. How many attempts have we really seen? The stone in the last episode. How many happened this episode or this well, trying to, trying to trap him on the ship, get back to the TARDIS and lock the rest of them out or something of that sort. I guess you could count that as an attempt, too. But it's it, to his credit, he's not particularly skilled. He's not an assassin. No, he, he's got- <laughs> well, he's neg- a schoolboy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not even that either. But yeah. that's sure. I, I feel like he's got negative skills. Like he's not <laughs> stealthy. He's not very good at hiding that he's doing nefarious deeds. <laughs> He couldn't even close the roundel very well, which Tegan saw pop I, open. I, he two also after he rolled she his charisma up. too low to talk himself out of any of this. Yeah, he's he is charismatic. I mean, he gets into that conversation with her. He's like, you know, I'm charming. Isn't there something to be said for charm? And she's kind of comes back with him. He's like, it depends on what you're using it for, you jerk. <laughs> I I uh, Tegan gets a kind of a, a short stick on this one. She's not really given a whole lot to work with because this is really supposed to shine more on, on Nyssa for obvious reasons. But she does get the opportunity to be that perfect foil to him throughout. Um, you know, h- him being just his kind of slick, not really. He's I guess that's the reason why I asked the question. He's not an a-hole necessarily, but he's doing a-holic things? He, he's not a top uh, top shelf a-hole. He's, okay. he's more he's of just, a, 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 a well-drinks a-hole. a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> he also keeps having these crises of uh, conscience on himself and then the Black Guardian comes in with the, no, you must do it. And he got a few shocks. I feel like the most impetus to keep him going happened towards the second half of this story arc. He seems to have his most crises of conscience while he's talking to the Black Guardian. Like he'll try to he'll try to go and do the deed or or, or sabotage the next thing, and that doesn't work. And then you know, when he's trying to think of the next thing he can do, Guardian shows up. You are an imbecile, and do your job, stupid. And that's when he starts getting all whiny and I don't want to do any of this, and I just want to go sit in a corner and eat jelly beans or whatever. What I I disagree a little bit. He waxes philosophical with Tegan sitting on the stairwell when they're resting in between running for their lives (laughs) and that moment you kind of you get the glimpse into what he's really thinking about it but i don't know why she didn't turn to him at that immediate moment be like is that really what you're doing she's been so suspicious the whole time and she's like i don't really think that's a good idea and then marches off like we've got a job to do squarely blame the script on that one that's yeah. I, I I have a strong suspicion that Janet Fielding would have been looking at that off the page and think that doesn't track at all. But all right, I'm getting paid to say this. Yeah. 
So the supporting characters have a 50-50 chance in classic stories of being either really memorable or completely forgettable. But in Terminus, we've got something unusual with Valgard, the tough veneer guard who spends most of the story fighting, well, everyone, only to flip in the final minutes and help the doctor get exactly what's needed. Was the change of heart genuine or just opportunistic? Can I just make one real quick comment about the, quote, fighting? Wow. (laughs) Okay, that's all I have to say. (laughs) That's all you need to say. That's all I got. I just wanted to point out that it was, quote, fighting. No, the the one fight over the quarterstaff was pretty good. Like, any time where the camera pulled up to the crane shot, and you obviously had the the fight choreographer in there in the the armor and uniform instead of the actor, it was better. I have to imagine that whatever that bone looking armor was made of was not convenient for fighting (laughs) fun fun fact about that armor so it was part of the many technical plagues that this story had to be subjected to um because this is my shocked face was it noisy yeah it was outrageously noisy and what (laughs) you heard every time one of them even took a deep breath was retrofitted like it was worse than that when they started filming and they had to pay one of the things i was telling julie offline earlier about that sent this one over budget for the first time in this director's career she went over budget and over time and was never to be seen by doctor who again Uh, um was the fact that they sent it back to the costume shop and said you got to quiet these things down Put mufflers on it. <laughs> they, you know, in order to do that, you have to you know uh, pad it with other things and separate some of the plates because I think it was more <laughs> elaborate in, in its first design. Um, but even that, just clack 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 clack. Did they not notice when they made the first one and like put it on the hanger or dummy or whatever? Like, oh, this makes a lot of noise when it moves. Should we do something about that? They're gonna be riding horses in some kind of outdoorsy thing, yeah? Yeah, clean <laughs> <laughs> it up in post. Mm-hmm. No, I, there's sound no post. studio set. <laughs> It, yeah. Well, it might not have been something that the that they were particularly cognizant of. Um, I don't know. That, but yeah, between that, they had some sort of massive electrical issue uh, on the in the first couple days of filming. Um, that like there was like a blackout on set. They could have used that. Yeah, Mood right? right? Um, they, I guess the this is the one I want to know a little bit more about when they were uh, arranging the set components for for this one sequence of shots or this one area of the set that was a bunch of sequences were going to get filmed. It was assembled off its marks, so they had to tear it all down. Hence the wall, <laughs> right? I just work it into the script, crazy everyone. Easy stuff. <laughs> it just it it's like you know everything that could go wrong did go wrong sort of thing um and end up apparently leaving kind of a sour taste in peter davison's mouth as well because it was just something where uh yeah all the way down to a script flaw i don't know if you noticed the running time of the of the individual episodes episode one is a little brief not much just a little brief because the uh, uh filming department went back to the scriptwriter and said we need two more minutes you know, we need we need this to be more of a standard length. It needs two more minutes of material, and Stephen Gallagher misinterpreted the directions, or or the the missive that he was given, and took scenes that had already been shot and extended them by two minutes of content, like like pat, padded lines and things to give it rather than adding two another two minute scene or something. So they couldn't even use the the edits that he made. It's horrible. Silly stuff. But to answer Haley's question. 
I feel like it was a mix of both a genuine turn and mm. an opportunistic one. I feel that they they truly did convince him when they were out in the corridors and he f- could see the opportunity for a better life and also he was then in charge. Yeah. And I I feel like it was the the moment when um and I I can't I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name right now the the one raider person who like they had their fight and he's like Look, I can tell you're not a spy. This is not what I came out here trying to resolve. So, you know, I'm not going to continue this fight because it's not what it, you can mm-hmm. see. Like he was already starting to to uh, reevaluate things. So when the doctor came up with the idea, they they came in with the solution and whatnot. It's like, okay, yeah, no, this fits a lot better than how I thought it was going to play out, and I can use this to my benefit as well. So it was, it did. It I like you said, Julie. I think it was a genuine thing, as well as. He saw the opportunity and went with it. I think the opportunity helped grease the wheels mm-hmm. for of the course. change of heart. If if that were not there and it were something where he actually did have to make that that um, unprompted step forward, it would have never happened. If it didn't benefit him, he probably wouldn't have even given it the moment to consider, well, maybe out of the goodness of my heart because I don't really see any other solution here. Oh, mm-hmm. oh but I get... I get what I wanted out of this too. Oh, well, of course. I, I feel fantastic about this. Everyone wins. <laughs> yeah. I do think that the threat of the company was pretty massive. So even that would have had them considering mm. the opportunity the doctor was presenting. And I, I think as soon as he knew he could tell one of his buddies and that the buddy was, I mean, there, I, you, I think we could tell they were friends. Mm. And the way that that other guy's face lit up was even more of an indicator that they would never have thought that was something they could do. Right. To to be, break free of the company and make their own green juice. I, I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> their own juice. glow sticks. Make your own glow sticks. <laughs> DIY glow sticks. Thank you, Nissa. Malacol? Some, something weird uh, name. How, 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 I can never how pronounce call. medicine names. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Hydra. Hydra. Call. <laughs> no, I I loved the I loved Boars Boars. Yeah, he was so much fun, especially like when he got to the point where he was like borderline delirious. <laughs> He's just I singing was, to himself. Oh my god! <laughs> Every time he was on screen, I was like, oh yeah, no, I love this. This is great. With the big bushy beard, I almost feel like he was a bit of a Don Quixote character. Yeah, that was <laughs> a, a great bit, yeah. Oh, I could see it in the wind. <laughs> he did, especially you know, with the with the list to one side, the one arm that didn't work quite well. Yeah. When they first introduced those characters, Boris and Valgard, I could have sworn I heard Thor and Balder. I was like, oh, we're getting a Viking story? <laughs> <laughs> that was not Yes, not but it. not really. Inspired by. <laughs> Vikings on an off week. <laughs> Yeah, so so Nissa's role in this story was uh, it runs the gamut from sleuth to abductee to negotiator to screaming victim to scientist to selfless healer. Like she is all over the place in this story. Looking back on the the stories that we've had with her, what do we feel like her legacy is now that she's leaving? I'm pleased that the 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 final sequence with her does the direct pin back to her studies on Trocken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you even get like the little hint of it in the fact that she's studying uh, microbiology books at the beginning of the episode. That's the book that gets burned and left out in the hallway sort of thing. So it's just, you know, those, those little hints are there to be able to say that this is still cr- important to her. It is still top of mind for her. And she is, she's not an adventurer. 
she is not a, a, a puzzle solver or a you know she she's she's not really any part of the heist team that you would want. Um, you know, she's the brains that stays back at the lair and, and sends you the coordinates of the building as you're breaking <laughs> in kind of thing. You know, that's that's kind of her role in it. She's not typically hands on. Yeah. She's the guy in the chair. Precisely. <laughs> um, but but not the burned out crunchy one on this episode. <laughs> the only thing that rankles me a little bit about this being sort of an encapsulation of her legacy is the the way that they were sort of objectifying her through this particular story. Um, she's slowly peeling clothes off through the entire thing. Um, there's all these really, really gratuitous camera angles down her cleavage and things. And she's, you know, she's, oh, she's the, like literally the, the hands above the head shackles thing at one point. She's got to be rescued or she's getting carried off over the shoulder of some brute. Really, really going tropey in that regard, which didn't, sit right with what the dialogue was handing her to make her into this very selfless concerned and 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 dialed in character so i don't know uh i i think this is a a good uh means of of identifying her arc legacy i just wasn't totally pleased with the execution on us on a visual level yeah, that I that was an issue. I had another issue, which is if this is Nissa's last story, I wish Tegan and Nissa had had more time together throughout the story. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they had their one little moment at the beginning, and then hugs at the end, uh, yeah. which. Uh, I think that the TARDIS will suffer from not having its mediator. I think she was a good go-between for the Doctor and Tegan, and I'm interested to see how that dynamic will shift because you literally had her running up at the end saying, say you're happy to see her. Now <laughs> yeah. you, your yeah. turn to say something nice back to him. And then we can all at least agree mm -hmm. that this was a good ending. Yeah. And she I, had her finger on the pulse that this is the weirdest relationship between those two. And forcibly saying to them, you need to acknowledge she's here and she's safe. Can you please acknowledge that he also came to rescue you? <laughs> so I think... For me, I I appreciate everything you said as well, but I would also add that as a a pin as something that w I would tack on her. Yeah, um, for sure. Little uh, badge array of <laughs> skills she has earned. Yeah, no, she she has been a fantastic character, and I I mean, if before like watching through all the way, her legacy was always like she's the one the doctor interacts with who doesn't always get in trouble like that that's that's how i tended to sum her up previously but mm. now like actually watching everything in order going through in a, in a short span of short ish span of time i it really does kind of stand out that like she is she really was a well-rounded character and i i'm sad to see her go but i like what we got from her through her run she mm. was a, really a fantastic companion especially for Especially for the, the classic era when that wasn't always the, the case. It's true. And wasn't um, uh, grandiose uh, or, or, or so much insofar as like being larger than life as, as T. And she, she was a character, not a caricature. Correct. Yeah. 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 And she had layers like an onion. <laughs> or a parfait. 
Everybody note, likes parfait. <laughs> note too that this is because we know based on everything that we've we've watched, sort of as things roll on here, that that is the last time that you technically have three dedicated companions at a time in the TARDIS until the woman who fell to Earth. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, change in the dynamic, mm-hmm. and it leaves you with a turlo. <laughs> and you know, turlo. <laughs> Well, uh, I was just going to say, you know, I think three companions might be too many for the TARDIS for the writers to keep everybody involved in the story all the time. It's true, because most of the time when we had the three characters, you usually had somebody who was either abducted and so they were the one that they needed to save or they were back on the TARDIS doing something. So they were never somebody always ever had. Yeah, you rarely ever had all three of them together at the same time. It was always like, well, we've got to stick somebody somewhere just because we don't have enough story to go around. And Mm. that was true even in 13's TARDIS. Yaz got sidelined for most (laughs) of her first series. It's true. Which is why she got to stay on for the the remainder of what we've seen her in. They're like, ah, you two got enough screen time. We clocked it. You're done. Time (laughs) Uh to move on. The rest. And then we're okay for a little while with Yaz and Dan. Then they bring in Jericho and everyone's like, oh, Jericho, this is going to be great. Wait a minute. We can't have three. Jericho, you got to go. Boop. (laughs) Sorry. Well, as the second script from Steve Gallagher, remember he gave us the interesting time flight story? Hmm. This could be a bit challenging one for voting on for the rewatchability and recommendability. So let's have at it. Haley, go first. Oh, geez. Um, rewatchable. Sure, I can, I can rewatch it. Um, and then recommendable. Um, I, th- I think, yes, you do recommend this one. You've got to see how Nissa's storyline wraps up. Um, so when you're giving somebody their primer on Doctor Who, they've had some run with Nyssa as the companion, so you get to see her departure here and the conclusion of her arc. So, yes on both, I guess. Nice. Kier? I'd agree that it has to be included in a in a kind of a, a primer set, because Nyssa's departure is one of those rare ones where you get it on the companion's terms. I've decided. Not I'm being forced, not I get left behind, not Oops. anything of that sort, not I crashed into a planet and killed all the dinosaurs, Oops. that old trope. Um, but yeah, as far as rewatchability, the only reason why I struggle sometimes to rewatch this story is that there are some uh, pacing issues with the dialogue and delivery. Long pauses, I speak, then you stare at me for three seconds. And then you speak. And I don't know if that was something that was intentional to sort of give things gravity and weight. But from a modern viewing perspective, it feels a little uh, stilted. So maybe watch it at one and a quarter speed. (laughs) Unless you are of this new Zoom variety that we are all now where you're used to waiting Oh, yeah, I'll respond now. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. it. It was Zoom lag. It was Zoom they lag. They were all in filming person. on Zoom lag. Yeah. Jay, what did you think? Uh, rewatchable or uh, recommendable, yes, for, for the same reasons. I feel like Nissa's exit is is a standout among companions because not only did she you know exit on her own terms, it felt natural for the companion, whereas like you had Joe Grant who it just – it felt rushed and kind of like where did this come from? Uh, but this one, it's like 
okay, no, this makes sense for Nissa. This is something I could see her doing. It it might they might not have foreshadowed it as much as we would like in in modern stories, but it still made sense for the character. So yeah, it's if you followed this companion for any length of time, absolutely recommendable to to watch it. Rewatchable, it's. <sighs> I have a tr- problem with this one simply because of the, uh, the everything that's mentioned before, but the the production value on this one for some reason gets to me. It's the it there's just something about the the armor and the sets, and it just it bothers me in a way that I'm not used to. Like the the scenes with um, Tegan and Turlo in the the little um, walkway underground or whatever, like. I'm okay with small spaces, but something about that makes me feel claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it, it makes me uncomfortable to watch this story for that reason. And I don't understand it. Oh, fair though. Yeah. Uh, for my part, I agree with all of the Nissa bits and think that it should be included as a re- recommendable, mm-hmm. but I think that it does have a pretty straightforward story and uh, I don't feel like I missed any details in the background or uh, little mysteries that I would be like, hmm, I, I need to watch that again to see what might have I might have missed. Yeah. So I don't know that I would necessarily go back and rewatch it. I, I feel like I picked up on the good bits and that's what I will remember. Mm-hmm. And I might say to someone like, yeah, you should watch it. And they'll be like, really? And when they watch it, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, you'll remember the good bits. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rewatch it if I were introducing it to someone else on a recommendation. So there you go. That's that's it. So I can so just you recommend it to somebody and they're like, hey, you want to watch it with me? And you're like, no, I'm good. Yeah, no, you should sit with this one on your own. I don't just want to, to spoil it for you. Yeah. Yeah. I talk during the stories. <laughs> well, next week we're going to be coming back with our Sarah Jane rewatch, and this time we're looking at the the Warriors of Cold Cudlack. Yes, Warriors of Cudlack. Yes, starting in getting a really good. Uh, patter and and symbiosis with our characters at this point. And this is only the first season. So it, this is one of those few shows that kind of, I think, breaks the the adage of, you know, let a, let a show get its first series under its belt and then you tune in the second series and that's when things really get better. I think they're already there. They literally hit the ground running in every episode. <laughs> How can you think anything different would happen? So much cardio. I'm, I'm really surprised because when we, when we first tossed the idea around of doing this. I was like, okay, I've, I've not watched Sarah Jane Adventures before, so I was kind of interested in seeing. I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm looking forward to these these uh, these episodes now. Yeah, the show is a lot better than I expected it to be. Cool. Well, we will see if that holds up next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 459 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, look, I'm I'm really running kind of run down right now can somebody pass me some glow sticks for my chest piece <laughs> and this is Kira saying i would help jay out but my power pack i'm sorry i i can't the got one your su- one shot <laughs> one pew. not even a pew pew just a pew just, just a pew uh this is julie saying could you tell i've been working on my sledgehammer tactics prior to this discussion how'd you feel it went <laughs> And this is Haley saying, who knew all it took was to start a new universe was an extra tank of gas. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. I'm Lizzie. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. See you next week.